It's um, good to be in the house of God this morning and to be able to worship him and song. And we do, uh, as Brother Robert said, we've got a lot out. Um, but thankful for each one who is here. We're going to continue in our study in Romans this morning and I already gave this message the kiss of death on the way here this morning. I told Zayden it was going to be short. So it'll probably end up being an hour and a half. Every time you say that, it ends up not being that. But I really do think we're just going to take a very small portion at the very beginning of of uh, Romans chapter 2. And, and for a couple of messages here in a row, we're going to be talking about judgment, which is the, the topic of Romans chapter 2. But we're going to first take just these first few verses um, that Paul introduces the topic of hypocrisy and judgment. So hypocrisy and judgment is the title of the message this morning, hypocrisy and judgment from Romans 2 verses 1 through 6. So I'll read the text and then we'll kind of review a little bit and get our context and then we'll dive into this text this morning. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So uh, I was telling Becca on the way up here this morning, I said, you know, the hard part about preaching through the book of Romans is you have to go through three chapters that are pretty tough <laughs> in a row. Um, now, when you get to chapter 4, Paul says, hey, there's good news. There's, there's this thing called justification by faith that, that's really amazing. But in the first three chapters... He just continues to a layer upon layer upon layer of total depravity. Man is in sin. There is no way that man can help himself. Uh, there's the judgment of God, the wrath of God, all of these topics. So it gets, it gets a little tough to hear. And this morning, as our topic says, you know, from the title you can tell that we said hypocrisy and judgment is the title of this passage. Hypocrisy is one of those topics that we're all guilty of at least to a point. Um, I think um, probably different levels of that, but I think we're all guilty of that to a point. And so it's, it's difficult to even talk about. Um, you feel like when you talk about hypocrisy that you're being a hypocrite <laughs> by talking about it. Um, it's probably the, <clears throat> the number one charge probably made against Christians is, well, y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. Y'all are no different than anybody else. And, and here's, the, here's the really the hard part about that. That's, that's pretty much true, right? I mean, we're sinners just like everybody else. The difference is we're sinners that have been saved by grace, and we are sinners who hopefully have repented of our sins, and we're fighting against that in our life. And that should be evident in our life. And so when it's not, that's when we get these charges of hypocrisy. But it also, and, and our text is going to show us, that's also because, because of the way that we treat others. If we're real judgmental of others, we're opening ourselves up to a greater charge of hypocrisy. So to get the context, you remember our key verse that we're going to go back to over and over and over again as we work our way through Romans. goes back to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We devoted a whole message just to those two verses because it's so important it's really Paul's thesis for everything that he's writing uh, in these first few chapters. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just 
shall live by faith. So that is the, the one glimmer that shines out really brightly in all this text of, of Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and even Romans chapter 3 as we'll get to uh, pretty soon. But remember, we, we read those verses and we talked about the gospel and how that what the gospel really is about is about the righteousness of God. The gospel says that you don't have any righteousness. That's a key part of the gospel. Uh, and it's a part that's left out many times today. Uh, one of the key aspects of the gospel is that we have to tell men and women that they're sinners, that they have fallen short of the glory of God. All men are sinners. And, and so the gospel reveals that to us, that we fall short of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the standard, and that we have not met the standard. And so because of that, then in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's also a part of the gospel. We have to tell men and women that the, God is real, that there is a God. This God is righteous and holy, and he expects holiness and righteousness from us, and we cannot provide that. And God is angry at sin. God there is the wrath of God against sin. So because of that, we need a Savior. That is the message of the gospel. And thanks be to God that we have a righteousness provided for us through Jesus Christ. That is the very heart of the gospel, is substitutionary atonement. Christ took our place, the punishment for our unrighteousness, and he gave us his righteousness. That is substitutionary atonement. You know, Christ, uh, there was a a quote on my Facebook page this morning from C.H. Spurgeon. He said, Christ didn't die to make men savable. Christ died to save men. And I agree with that because I agree with substitutionary atonement. Christ didn't just make it possible for me to save myself. That, that, if that happened, I'd be in trouble because then that leaves me as part of the equation. I need to be taken completely out of the equation. And so what the gospel says is Christ didn't make me savable. He saved me. He literally took my sin and paid for it and gave me his righteousness, which means that takes me completely out of the equation and says that I'm righteous before God because of something outside of myself. In theological terms, we call that an alien righteousness. And it's not the people, little people in the flying saucers, right? That's something outside of me had to be provided for me because I couldn't provide it for myself. So in that context, you remember we got down to the end of chapter 1, Paul dealt with the subject of homosexuality. We had to deal with that last Sunday. It's kind of a topic that's it's hard to talk about sometimes, but we need to be clear on. And we need to have a clear understanding and view of that, especially in our day today. We're just being bombarded with it more and more and more. Uh, I'll just tell this, um, take a little time to tell this. We were coming home from the camping trip last night. We, we had to drop Sydney off at her house on the way back in Florence. And we're going through, and we're like, what in the world is going on? And downtown, right across from the public library, there's all these tents set up and all this stuff. And sure enough, you know, it became obvious pretty fast what it was. There were rainbows everywhere, and although they were having a big pride celebration out there in the public square, people everywhere. You know, it's just, it's in your face probably more than it's ever been. So we need to have a clear understanding of that. And Paul uses that. He's dealing with that sin, not just to deal with that sin so that we have a proper understanding of it. I think that's part of it. But remember, I told you that was his exhibit A of how when we're left to ourselves and we're turned over to our own, own thinking and our own depraved mind, then that, that is what um, we turn to is things like that that goes against nature and against God's creation. So because of that, um, we, we looked at that sin and, and said that's Paul's exhibit A of, of how far we fall into sin. But then he gives this list of all these things. And, you know, some of these things are really bad. Um, murder, some, you know, some of them haters of God. Some of them sound really bad. Some of them don't sound as bad to us, right? Um, maybe pride or envy. You know, well, that's not as bad. Um, disobedient to parents, maybe without understanding. But there's this whole list of all of these sins. And, and as you read it, uh, if you're a child of God and you're reading that, I think there is um, a little bit of a tendency for us to say, like, wow, that is, that's terrible stuff. I can't believe people do all of that, right? And so we start thinking, well, man, all of those people, 
the wrath of God just needs to get them. You know, Paul's right. You know, just, just go get them, God. That, that's horrible. I can't believe they would do those things. And so that's where we're going to start chapter 2. Paul says, okay, we've talked about the gospel. We've talked about how that, that men left to their own devices and turned over to reprobate minds, how all of these things take place, homosexuality, all of that list, all of those things. And then he begins with, and remember, look at the, the, the way he talks about it here in verses uh, 18 through the end of the chapter in chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. It's all of these. He's pointing at all these people. Now, go down, and how does he start chapter 2? Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Now, it depends on your translation. Um, in, in the King James Version, it's going to be thou a lot. In other translations, it's going to be the word you. So all of a sudden, there's a shift here. Paul says, we're talking about them, we're talking about them, all these people who hate God, they're murderers, they're all these people that are unrighteousness and ungodly and all that, and he says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things." So if you were sitting there during the last message and you were going, man, that's right, you know, you better tell them, Paul. You better tell them that the wrath of God's coming for them. I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I'm not in that boat. I'm glad I'm not one of those sinners. I'm glad I'm not an unrighteous person. You know, when, when, you know, when we have that attitude, Paul's addressing us directly here in Romans chapter 2. And the reason why he's doing that, so our point number one, for, for this morning's message. That's a long review. <laughs> Point number one for this morning's message is hypocrisy condemned. Hypocrisy condemned. So if you might have been having those thoughts in your head as you read the end of chapter one, you know, go get them, Paul. That's right. They're horrible sinners. You need to understand that we are experts, and this is one, I mean, this is such a true thing I think even people who are not Christians would say that this is the truth. We are experts in self-justification and self-exaltation. So we, we are really, really good at figuring out a way to justify ourselves. You know, we, we can see that list and say, man, those are horrible people, <laughs> when really we're guilty of almost everything on the whole list, if not everything on the whole list. We're guilty of all of it. And yet we can read it, and somehow in our minds, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking, like we said, yeah, you're right, Paul. You need to tell them. You need to tell them what they need to do. So our tendency um, sometimes is to lower the standard, just lower the overall standard so that we meet the, the criteria, right? We're pretty bad about that. So, well, God's standard is holiness. It's perfection. That's a pretty high standard. So in our minds, sometimes what we end up wanting to do is we want to lower the standard to make it a little more inclusive, right? Churches are very guilty of this today, especially with church membership. It's like, well, you know, if we really require people to live godly lives to be church members, we're not going to have as many church members. So instead of us holding the line and, and preaching the truth and talking about sin and having messages like we had last Sunday that says, you know, guess what? People might be offended by it, but God says homosexuality is an abomination. That's what he says, and we're going to hold to that because that's what God says is true, and people may not like it, but instead we want this inclusive mindset, and we want people to feel welcome to come in, and well, you know, we're all just sinners anyway, so they just need to come in, so there's a tendency to maybe lower the standard so that we feel like we meet the standard. Maybe that's one way that we justify our own sins in our minds. Sometimes we use the excuse that, well, you know, everybody's sinners, Right? And is that true? Yes, it is. It's true. We're all sinners. But this is how we do that. We say, well, you know, yeah, you know, I struggle with this and this and this, but everybody's sinners. So, you know, my sin, it's just my sin. It's just, it's just my struggle. Everybody's got their struggle. I got my struggle. So, you know, we're all good. Um, there's actually a book that was written within the last few years. Um, and basically the title of the book, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's pretty close to this. It's 
you're good and I'm good. <laughs> In other words, we're all okay. Don't, don't worry about it. You're good. I'm good. Everybody's good. We're all right. That was literally the title of the book because people want to justify their behavior. So sometimes we use the excuse. I love the way uh, Brother Brady said it in his message on this topic. He said, we try to hide in the pack, right? So there's like a whole bunch of people, you know, and you just kind of blend in, you know, you just kind of slide over in the pack and say, well, we're all sinners, so I can just keep my sin and I'll just kind of hide in the pack. And it's really okay because, once again, everybody is sinners. On this topic, in, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. So that's the very definition of hypocrisy. He said, you're judging other people when in reality you're committing, you're doing the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So on this topic of judging, what, what does the world think about judging other people? It's the most quoted verse in the Bible, even more so than John 3.16, right? Some of you may even know the reference by heart. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 1. Let's turn over there to Matthew 7. And verse 1, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And you could probably say it from memory. What does it say? Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So we read that. So I want to point something out right off the top. If you read the whole thing, verse 1 through 5, what does it say at the very end? Does it say, see, so you shouldn't judge at all? No, that's not what it says, right? It says what you need to do is clean up your own stuff, clean up your own uh, mistakes, clean up your own sin so that you can see clearly to then help other people. It doesn't say don't do it at all. It says you just better make sure you're seeing clearly when you do it, right? He didn't say, hey, there's a beam in your eye, so you might as well give up. Just don't even think about judging anything. It's not what he says at all. So in Romans chapter 2, we have the same topic. He says, you're, you, beware of those who judge because you're doing the same things. Judge not, lest ye be judged. The moat and the beam. So the moat and the beam, there was such a good word picture. This um, conference I went to a long, long time ago, I don't even remember where I was, honestly, but we went in, and they had this mime who did entertainment in the beginning, and he had some really good stuff. He did David and Goliath from the perspective of Goliath's shield bearer, which was really interesting. <laughs> but then he did this one where all, he came out, and he had designed this contraption that was on his head, and it had this huge piece of foam coming out of his eye. I mean, it went out about four or five feet. It was pretty cool. It just looked like it's coming right out of his eye. And he was walking around in the crowd, and he was just hitting people with that thing, you know. You got a speck in your eye. You know, you got a speck in your eye. He just kept going over and over and over. Well, you know, the interesting part about it that I had never thought about before until I saw that was it wasn't just that he couldn't see because he couldn't get close enough because he had the beam in his eye, but that beam was just, just wearing people out. You know, it was just, just hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting. Well, when we act, when we judge in that way, what are we doing? We're just destroying, destroying, destroying. We're just hitting them again and again and again. So really a good word picture. But the meaning here is we've got to be careful about how we judge others. So, for instance, when you're reading that list in the first chapter and you hear all of those things and you say, man, those are awful people. Man, I'm glad God's wrath is against them because that's terrible. That's a self-righteous view of that passage. And all of a sudden you're judging others when really... You're guilty of, of the same things. And for us to really understand that, we have to understand 
that Christ, when he talked about the law, he took it to a whole new level, right? So when he talked about adultery, did he say it's only those who have committed actual adultery? No. He said if you've lusted after a woman in your mind, you've committed adultery. You're talking about a high standard. So then all of a sudden, there's a whole lot more guilt to go around than what we thought. Um, we better be careful how we judge. So it's not talking um, this passage in, in Matthew chapter 7 uh, that we're looking at. It's not talking about just judgment. It's talking about unjust judgment. So if we judge unjustly, then we shouldn't do that. We should judge justly. It's okay to do that, but we better be careful. We better proceed with caution and ask for much wisdom. Galatians chapter 6, turn there, Galatians chapter 6, because I, wanna, I want us to be sure that we understand the easy way, I guess, to avoid this would be to say, you know what, I'm just not going to get involved. <laughs> I'm never going to make judgments about anything. And that's wrong. Uh, it's wrong for us to do that. In fact, I really feel like that attitude is probably why we are where we are in our culture. We gave too much ground for too many years. We didn't want to be the the people who had to, to be the bad guys and say, hey, guess what, culture? This is wrong. <laughs> this is against God's word. This is not okay. And so when we don't do that, the culture continues to decline and we get to the place we are today. So when we talk about judging and not judging and being a hypocrite, what keeps us from doing just judgment is the charge of hypocrisy. And for us to not have that, we've got to sweep on our own back porch, which is really, really a difficult thing to do but Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault judge not lest ye be judged it's not what the text says at all it says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness that's the key in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest thou also be tempted Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So is it okay to get involved? Is it okay to make judgments? Yes. But you need to be really careful, and you need to understand that that same judgment applies to you as well. Um, so in the spirit of meekness, I think, is the key to that text. It's also the key to understanding uh, Romans chapter 2 where we are in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 when he says um, for wherein thou judgest another thou condemnest thyself for thou that judgest doeth the same things you know I, I think when it says in the spirit of meekness considering your own self I even think this is true about that if you're somebody who struggles with a particular sin and there's somebody else who's fallen into that sin that's probably not the best person for you to help it's just not you probably you need to go to somebody else and say, hey, you know, I think, you know, brother so-and-so struggling with this and, and he needs some help, and I don't think I'm the right person to do that because you're probably going to end up falling uh, into that again uh, if that's the case. So I think there's a meekness, there's a, a humbleness that has to go with this, um, this judgment that takes place. So what Paul's really doing here is he's defining hypocrisy, and he really says what the definition of hypocrisy is for for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou, for thou that judgest doest the same things. That's the very definition of hypocrisy. A hypocrite is someone who's pretending to be something that they are not. Most common use of it is someone who professes to be a Christian but doesn't live like a Christian. So now when I, when I define it that way, you can start to see why I said it's the one charge people can throw at us that at all times will have some measure of truth to it. Because how many people in this room in the last week lived perfectly like a Christian? Of course not. Of course not. We struggled. We had sins that we dealt with this week. So in some sense, yes, that charge is true. But are you, are, is the general pattern of your life and are you trying to fight against sin in your life? Then, I don't, then that, to me, that does not make you a hypocrite. Also like this that was pointed out, that word that's translated hypocrite, it can be a noun or a verb, okay? So what we want to avoid is the noun. There will be times when the verb is true of us, right? We'll be acting in somewhat of a hypocritical way. But what we want to avoid is being a hypocrite. 
a noun, the noun form of that. We're all guilty of the verb sometimes. We, we do things that are hypocritical, but we want to avoid being a hypocrite, someone who judges others harshly but doesn't see their own sin in their own life. That's what we want to avoid. But before I move on, I, I just can't move on without saying this. <coughs> I think our people as primitive Baptists as a whole have struggled with this, and it has hurt our churches. Um, we judge very harshly on the front end. We're not, we're not very long-suffering with people um, in, in a lot of different ways, and we see things one way, and that's it. I think that's true, really, of a lot of Calvinists in general, people who have Calvinistic doctrine. But I think we've been guilty of that in a lot of ways. Um, the way people dress, the way they, they understand church, the way that they understand worship, all of those things. We need to be careful how harshly we judge when really, you know, we may need to look, uh, look inward first before we do that. So hypocrisy is condemned in verses 1 and 2. So the second point is a true standard of judgment in verse 2. A true standard of of judgment. So in Romans 2, verse 2, he says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So if there's going to be judgment that takes place, he says, You're judging people, and sometimes you're judging people wrongly because you're guilty of the same things and you're trying to judge them. Well, God, who judges ultimately all things, he is holy. 100% holy. When he makes a judgment, there's no hypocrisy in his judgment, right? God has never sinned. God, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He took on even a human body and yet was perfect in every way. The impeccability of Christ. He never sinned. So his judgment is without hypocrisy. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. He always judges fairly, honestly, without hypocrisy, and his judgment is according to a standard of truth. So sometimes when we make judgments, we might judge and, you know, we, we might, it might be according to our opinion. And you know what our opinion's worth? <laughs> it's not a whole lot. <laughs> I hate to tell you that, but it's just not really worth a whole lot. So when we make judgments on our own, based on our own thoughts and opinions, Everything that, that we have is tainted with sin. And so, therefore, our judgment is also tainted with sin. We can make improper judgments is the bottom line. Let me just sum it up and say that. We can make improper judgments. But when God judges, it's true and right and just and without hypocrisy every time. It's according to a standard of truth that does not waver. And so what we're going to be judged according to, if you go all the way down to verse 6, I'm going to skip a whole bunch. But you go down to the, the righteous judgment of God in verse 5 and 6. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And what does it say in verse 6? Who will render to every man according to his deeds. I'm just going to be honest with you. If that doesn't scare you a little bit, then you don't really understand the text. God will judge every man according to his deeds. That ought to just strike fear in every one of our hearts, that I'm going to be judged according to my deeds, because I know my deeds. And there's a standard of truth that's been upheld, and that standard of truth is what we're going to be judged against. And I can go ahead and tell you, I can spoil it for you if you want me to. You don't meet the standard. You don't meet that standard of judgment. There's no way. It's a standard according to truth. So there will be no hiding on that day. We'll be judged according to our deeds, those things we do, our actions, and these deeds or actions will be measured against a standard of absolute truth. The truth will all be laid out. So all hypocrisy on that day will come to a swift end. In other words, right now, you may can, even in your own mind, self-justify and make yourself feel better. And there may be people who deceive everyone around them. And they may be the biggest hypocrite you've ever seen in the world. They may be 
the 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 person who just you know man that that person's got it all together and and that's really what it's all about is that person and really they're hiding a lot of sin but on that day all of that's going to be laid out and it's going to be judged according to truth (coughs) we're not going to be judged according to our genealogy right your family can't save you on the day of judgment i'm sorry i know your parents would love to if they could i would as a parent i know you would as a parent but your your family's not going to be able to save you on that day you're not going to be judged according to genealogy or family tradition we're not going to be judged by the denomination or the group of people we have fellowship with if you think being a primitive baptist is going to save you i hate to tell you that's false being a primitive baptist is not going to save you the fact that you grew up in a particular church is not going to save you on that day. That judgment is going to be according to truth, and it's going to be based on your deeds. So then, what is that standard of truth? So then, if if you say, okay, well, you're going to be judged according to a standard of truth, what is that standard of truth? I think that's really important. I think it's important that there is a standard. Look at our current events right now. How many of you are really confident right now in the American system of justice with what's happened in politics in the last, you know, four to eight years? It seems like there's a double standard, right? Some people can get away with a whole lot of stuff. We have two, a former president and a president, and they both have all these documents that they're, I don't know, they're probably both wrong. I have no idea. But they have all these documents that they're not supposed to have, and one of them's getting indicted and the other guy's not. So how is that? Well, that means to us in the in the just normal people, we say, well, man, that's not right. That's a double standard. Well, if he's getting indicted, then all these people need to get indicted too. Why are they not getting indicted? And so then we lose confidence, right, in the standard of judgment. We say, well, there's there must not be a standard. It's just whoever I don't like, I'm just going to judge. Well, God doesn't do things that way, right? There's a standard of truth, and God's judgment is just. It's according to truth. There's a standard. And because of that, we need to know what the standard is. Because today, a lot of people don't understand even the concept of truth anymore. You remember, what did Pilate ask Jesus? He said, what is truth? You should define it to me. What is truth? Well, man, we're asking that question a lot today. Because what young people are being taught today, sadly in grade school now, and it's been going on in college for a long time, is the concept of relativism. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. This other person over here, they can have a different truth, and they're all true to that person, and that's all that matters. There's no outside standard of truth that's absolute. Well, the Bible says that that's a bunch of hogwash. The Bible says there is one standard of truth, and the Bible defines what that standard of truth is. So who defines what truth is and what is error? That is God himself. Paul said, we're sure that God's judgment is according to truth. You know why? Because God is truth. The judge determines what is true and what is true. So his judgment is always going to be according to truth. So the truth that we have is revealed to us in the Bible. That means that this book is a very important book, right? If you're going to be judged according to your deeds and the standard is going to be that book, you think you need to know the book? You know, if you were going in to be charged for a traffic violation and you thought you were innocent, what would you do? You're smart. I'll say it that way. You'd look up the statute, right? And you'd know that law inside and out so that when you went to court, you'd say, you know what, I'm going to defend myself, but i got to know what the law is because i got to know that I am innocent according to the law. Well, if if the standard of truth that we're going to be judged by is the Bible, I think we ought to know the Bible. We ought to know the book. Now, before I go any further... I want to go ahead and clear this up. Brother Andy's up here, not, not, not up here preaching today that it's your works that save you and you've got to get it right or you're going, you, you know, we've already covered that in chapter 1, right? We're not justified by our works. That's not what I'm saying. But yet, nonetheless, this judgment is real. And, and we do need to understand that, that there is going to be a judgment. But, and we'll get to that at the end. I'm going to sum that up at the end. But I'm going to go ahead and give a little disclaimer right there, right now, before we go any further. Now, the third point from verse 3 in Romans chapter 2, verse 3, is hypocrisy and justification. Hypocrisy and justification. 
So in verse 3 he says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? That's verse 4. We're going to focus really on verse 3. So do you think, O man, who's trying to judge other people that are doing these things, and you're doing the same, that you're going to escape judgment? He said, do you really think that you can hide it? That you can make it look good on the outside and then judge other people for the same things that you're doing, that you're trying to hide? Do you think that's going to work? It's not going to work. So why does he bring up hypocrisy during a discussion on judgment? What does being a judgmental hypocrite have to do with the judgment of God? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 18, another very familiar passage. Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 18, we'll begin in verse 9. And he spake this parable, this is Jesus, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So we have an audience. You know, sometimes when you're reading a text, you need to know who it's written to. Well, the audience here, Jesus is talking to some people, certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So these people are on their high horse. They think they've got it all figured out. They think they're without sin, and they're judging all these other people, saying, oh, you, all you sinners, and yet I've got it all figured out. That's the audience. So verse 10 begins the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. It's a very telling word there. Prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. So he wrapped up his prayer right there. That's his prayer. Lord, thank you for not making me like this horrible sinner over here that's worse than an adulterer and all of these things that he mentioned, and especially not like this publican. And by the way, God, I'm going to remind you, here's all the stuff I am doing. Here's all my good works. Here's the stuff. I'm, I'm tithing. I'm giving my check. I'm doing this. I'm... I'm doing all of these things for you. So, Lord, I just wanted to remind you of how good you made me and, and what a good job I'm doing of, of making you proud with the way that you made me. In verse 13, we get, remember there was two that went up to the temple to pray. Now the second one. <coughs> and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So this is hypocrisy laid out in striking clarity in that text. Notice that the hypocrite in this parable compares his view of himself with his view of other men that he believes are worse sinners than he is. So there's a comparative nature to his prayer. If that ever happens in any of your prayers, stop praying and start over. Right? We, we don't need to compare ourselves with other people. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Who are we to compare ourselves to? What's the standard? Is it other men? The standard is Jesus Christ. It's the holiness of God. That's our standard. So now go into that prayer, comparing yourself to that standard, and you're going to be the publican, not the Pharisee, right? If you compare yourself to Christ, then you're going to say, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a, in a, amongst the people of unclean lips, and I need mercy. That's going to be your prayer. So the big problem here is the comparative nature of his prayer. He's comparing himself to this other person who he feels like is, is not quite as good as he is. So he's talking about um, the other, other person's faults. 
I love this um, in one of the commentaries that I read. It said, this is also a good example that we don't talk uh, about other people's faults. We should talk to them about their faults. We don't talk about them. We talk to them. What does Galatians say? It says, if a brother's overtaken the fault, you go to him. You don't just talk about him. You don't just say, Lord, <laughs> that person's a horrible sinner. I'm just glad I'm not like them. You go to him. You go to, to help. So I, I think that's overall a good, good view of that as well. So the, there's just a few things point out from this very quickly. The first thing is, is that the, the, the Pharisee, one of the problems there is that his righteousness is a moral righteousness. He thinks that because he's being a moral person and, and he's living a fairly clean moral life, that he has righteousness. Well, what he doesn't understand is that even his righteousness, what does the Old Testament say? Even the righteousness that we bring is what? It says filthy rags before God. So you might live a very moral life. Did you know that there are people who are not children of God who live very moral lives? There's people in false religions that live very strict moral lives. Good, honest people who do the right thing and, and you know, don't abuse people and they're honest in their business and they do all that. And they have a very moral standing. But guess what? The most moral person in the world absent of Jesus Christ is going to be judged and sent to an eternal hell because they are rebels against God. That's, that's hard. It's just, it goes against everything in our nature to understand that. But his righteousness is of a moral nature. Secondly, his righteousness is also of a religious or ceremonial nature. He's checking all the religious boxes, right? He says... Um, he prayed thus with himself, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, I don't do all of these things. But then look at verse 12. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm checking all the religious boxes. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to as a religious person. Well, guess what? Religion, just in and of itself, is not going to justify you on the day of judgment. It's not. You can be the most religious person. The Pharisees were the most religious people of this day. They did all the religious things right, and, and I mean really did it to the nth degree. And Jesus had his harshest rebukes for the Pharisees, who were the most religious people. So religion, it's not going to save you on the day of judgment. And then third, I think it's interesting to point out, because there's, we, we can get so harsh against this Pharisee that we can forget, he believed his righteousness was the gift of God. Isn't that interesting? He didn't believe it was his. He didn't believe he did it. He said, God, thank you for making me better than this guy over here. And thank you for blessing me to be so religious, to give all of these things. Isn't that interesting? I've never really kind of thought about that before. But this guy, he was giving God the credit for making him so good. <laughs> his view of himself was really false and wrong. But he was giving God the credit for it, right? That's, that's what he was doing. He said in the very beginning of his prayer, the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself thus, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Right? So he's given God the credit. As far as we know, he was a believer in the sovereignty of God. Isn't that interesting? He thought God was in control of all of that. God made him better than this other person. Wrong. <laughs> his judgment was wrong. But he thought, I mean, that sounds right, doesn't it? And isn't that right? God is in control of all things. That's true, but he was just wrong in his judgment. He didn't have the view that he should have had. So when it came to justification, and that was the issue here, because remember, Jesus is tying this hypocrisy of this man and the way that he prayed to justification. Isn't that interesting? Same thing in Romans chapter 2. It's presented as an issue of justification. So this man wasn't a legalist. He was giving God credit. Um, he was saying the right things in some ways, but he had a false view of himself and a false view of the other man, right? That was really his problem. He had a false view of his own righteousness and a false view of the other man's righteousness. So this disease of hypocrisy is deeply rooted, and it's hard sometimes to even diagnose or recognize. So you might hear that parable just at face value. If I just read it to you and didn't comment, you might say something like this. You might say 
Well, I heard that parable, and I'm thankful I'm not like that Pharisee, <laughs> right? It's kind of a conundrum there, <laughs> right? Uh, there was actually this gospel group when Beck and I lived in Alaska. They had a song called, Lord, I thank you for making me better than those Pharisees. You know, that is a great song. Uh, it just went on and on and on, and it stepped all over your toes But about how religious we are. But um, sometimes that disease is so, so well entrenched, we can say things like, well, man, I'm, I'm glad I heard that parable because I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> That's terrible. So the disease is deeply rooted, and it's hard to even diagnose or recognize sometimes. And then I think this is a great statement, too. He said, this was hard enough in culture just when, when you had to communicate just face-to-face. Telephones probably made it worse. Well, now we got the social media age. Hypocrisy is, I mean, it's just a whole new level. Do people put their struggles on their social media account, you think? Do they take a selfie when they're having a really bad day and everything's not going their way and they've fallen into sin and all that? No, it's always the good stuff, always, always. It's a, it's a shell that they put up. It's the biggest proponent and, and, and um, uh, exporter of hypocrisy that the world has ever known is social media. And I never really thought about it that way, but it's true. It's like everything's going my way, everything's perfect in my life, and really... The truth is, none of that stuff is probably true. You know, it's probably all just a shell. It's a shell game. So social media has even added to that. So just to review then, we said there's a standard that God's going to judge by, and then this hypocrisy and justification means that your religious tradition, your political party, your family, where you go to church, all of those things, none of those things are going to matter. We're going to be judged by that standard according to our deeds. And so hypocrisy and justification are linked. And then the last thing, and we'll, we'll close with this, is despising the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God. So here's what Paul says about people who are pointing fingers at other or smug in their own sense of, of self-righteousness. All of those things tell us that, that God is very forbearing and patient right so we read chapter one we know what's going on in the world around us and we know that at some point at some point there's a there's a day coming when the righteousness and the wrath of god is going to be poured out against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness and yet god is forbearing isn't that a good thing in some ways um you know it's um if we were judged immediately for all of our sin, it would be tough, wouldn't it? God forbears. He has loving kindness, especially to his people. So the justice of God, there's two things at the end of this that we want to talk about really quickly, and then we'll wrap up. There's two things that he says about God at the end of our text in uh, Romans that we need to look at, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. But he says in verse 4, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance his goodness his forbearance and his long suffering so we said god is a just god and and that's a good thing we have no excuse there will be no excuse in that day that's the way he started our passage up in the very beginning thou art inexcusable O man if you're somebody who judges but doesn't use the same standard for yourself there's no excuse god that will not work in god's judgment Um, so God is just but then this goodness of God it's translated kindness in some translations the kindness of God some places in the Old Testament it's translated loving kindness of God Um, the word forbearance sometimes uh, translated patience God doesn't deal with us immediately according to how we act right sometimes we fall into sin and, and there is forbearance and there is patience And there is the kindness of God that then 
brings us, but what is, the, what is the purpose of that? Paul tells us here, is to bring us to repentance. It's not to sweep it under the rug. It's to bring us to repentance. And when we don't come to repentance, what does he say about that? He says, if there's not repentance, then you are heaping up. You are treasuring up against, up unto thyself, wrath against the day of judgment and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And verse 5, I think, is important in, in this way, too. So it tells us about the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God that he has for his people. It also tells us this. Did you know that all those hypocrites, one day that's all going to be made plain? He says what they're doing is they're treasuring up. They're saving up wrath against that day of judgment that's going to come. And in that day, there's not going to be any hypocrisy. In that day, it's all going to be laid out. Just plain and simple, just here it is. God knows it all. He knows the intents of the heart. He knows the things that probably, well, not, not probably, he knows things that you don't even know about yourself. Probably sins that you don't even realize that you've thought and committed in your thought life and all those things. God knows all of those things. So all of that is going to be dealt with in that day. And he says, because of the goodness of God, we are led to repentance. We repent and we come back and we fight against sin in our life. Now we're going to go into a whole lot more detail about the judgment of God next time and we'll use some of the text that we use this time and we'll go down through about verse 11 in the next message on the judgment of God. But we needed to deal with this issue of hypocrisy. Once again, I know it's uh, not probably the most uplifting sermon in the world, but I told you I was going to get back to something in the end and so I need to do that. There's a tendency when we hear this message and we hear messages about hypocrisy and about how to, to live our lives according to the word of God and all those things to fall into legalism. There just is. We just say, okay, well, man, I've got to clean up my act and I've got to quit being a hypocrite and I've got to do this and this and this and this so that then when I get to the judgment, I'm going to be in a better position. You're not, okay? <laughs> You're not going to get yourself in a better position for the judgment of God. You're not. There's one, only one thing that would pass the judgment of God. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith, and our faith is in Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. If we don't have the righteousness of Christ, we're going to fail miserably. So don't leave today with the, with the mindset of, well, I'm going to clean my life up because there's judgment coming, and i gotta, I got to clean my back porch up so that God's welcome at my house. That's a false view of the gospel. What the gospel says is that your righteousness is filthy rags. You need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's out of love for him then, because we have been saved, then we live for him. And we want to strive to do that which is right and honest and good in our lives. We want to live for him, right? So we, we don't want to fall into a legalistic mindset. We want to affirm the gospel that says that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel that, that Christ gave us his righteousness and he took our unrighteousness and paid for it in our stead. So we affirm that this morning. And if you've never trusted Christ, you should make a public profession of faith, follow him in baptism, which is the first act of obedience and join with his people in a church, uh, church family and try to serve him uh, to the best that you can for the rest of your life. Hope those things have been a blessing to you this morning. We'll stand and sing a hymn.